Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Franklin Radio's presentation of a priest, a minister, and a rabbi walking to a radio station. We hope to be actually walking into the radio station soon. I'm Jay Horrigan, and as always, I'm lucky enough to be here with Dr. Pandora Carlucci. How are you, Pandora? I'm very fine, Jay. I'm sorry for that. Uh, it's, a, it's a little warm, but doing okay. And yourself? I'm doing great. We yeah, we got thrown right into summer a couple of weeks ago. Memorial Day weekend, it was 40 degrees. And this past weekend, it was 90. Quite a change we've been experiencing, which is something we've been experiencing everywhere. There's the change in the COVID policies of the state of Massachusetts, locally, in the town. And, you know, we that's probably my initial question. Uh, for the people we have here, our our uh, panel, as always, a stellar panel. Uh, we'll start uh, with Rabbi Tom. How about uh, how are things going with your synagogue and all the things that you do? Uh, how much in person stuff are you doing, et cetera, et cetera? So things are good. Things are good. Uh, you know, I mean, there's they're the, all the standard. Uh, things of life, the, 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 the good, the joys and the sorrows that happen, but they're starting to feel more like standard joy, uh, parts of life rather than, you know, this sort of exceptional COVID overlay. We have had um, some services where we've had people in person, uh, you know, particular groups, uh, the, for instance, our, our, our leadership was installed and many of them came uh, in person. We have not yet uh, open to the larger community, but we have a group that's a task force that's working on it. Uh, they're going to present a recommendation to our board at the end of the month, and I would be awfully surprised if we weren't pretty open pretty soon. Oh, that's that's so exciting to hear. Reverend it Kathy, is. How about, it is. How, about, how about you? Are you folks doing the same thing, starting to transition back to whatever this normal is going to be going forward? Yeah, we're we're transitioning. We're trying to do it slowly kind of step by step so we are blessed to have a lovely shady lawn area in front of the church and so we're taking advantage of that and worshiping outdoors during the summer we are inviting vaccinated people to unmask and encouraging unvaccinated people to stay masked we are doing congregational singing again which is exciting um, we're starting to, to do some meetings in person. In fact, the, the church school got together and had a little walk and ate popsicles and played games outside. And that was kind of their end of year celebration. And um, we're shooting for all of that being indoors uh, in September, assuming that the numbers continue to go the way they're going. So Awesome. I do have to ask, because I saw that uh, awesome video that you posted, did you bring people from your congregation together when you were digging that hole outside of the house with the big <laughs> auger and everything? Uh, I've been putting up a horse fence at my house and it is actually done except for building the gates. So I'm quite proud of it. Jeez, I, I saw you're that. You're referring and, to a Facebook post, yeah. 
Yes, it was it was amazing. And my first comment to myself was, thankfully, that's Reverend Kathy and not me trying to do it. So good, <laughs> good for you. That that was awesome. And Reverend Eric, how about with you folks? How are things going? Thanks, Jay. Yeah, we're we're doing okay too. Um, at First Universal Society in Franklin, uh, we're on a slow ramp up to uh, our grand reopening of the building on September twelfth. Uh, and some of that ramping up is um, has been really pretty neat. Uh, we um, were on retreat up in Saco, Maine, or for our annual uh, church retreat in mid-May, and so we had a, a hybrid worship service from their outdoor chapel uh, that went smoothly. Uh, and then um, last Sunday was our first, the first time that we had a hybrid service indoors uh, for the church, and uh, that was for what we call. Um, bridging. It's kind of like a baccalaureate service for uh, seniors graduating from high school. And so the eight seniors and their families and the worship team were in the building and um, uh, leading the service live and uh, a hybrid interactive service for the vast majority of the congregation that we're zooming in. And um, it went pretty smoothly. And uh, so we're going to be experimenting with that with like specifically invited folks Sunday to Sunday uh, over the next couple of months. If the vaccination uh, or vaccination rates and um, the infection rates and all that continue in the direction they're currently going, we may have a general open door policy for Sunday mornings by um, the last Sunday in July, uh, but really focused on a grand reopening in uh, in September. The culture we're creating is very much as Kathy described for her congregation. We encourage masking and social distancing for all people. We require masks of anyone that's not fully vaccinated, and we invite people who are fully vaccinated to um, remove their masks. Uh, so that's sort of sort of how things are going on our end. It, it sounds like all three of you kind of have similar approaches, and, and I'm sure part of that comes out of, I know the three of you talk all the time, it, it, and it's a similar approach. You're starting to see in a lot of stores, wherever you may go, the, the encouragement of uh, masks for non-vaccinated people have you found any challenges or anything with that, Reverend Eric? Uh, well, I just want to add in there that yes, and and um, mostly it's it's like um, the unfamiliarity of the situation and kind of uh, getting used to it again. But we had a, the Interfaith Council in Franklin had a really nice taste of that uh, just that last week. We met in person as a council outdoors for the first time since the pandemic started. And, uh, you know, throughout the, the meeting went really well. Reverend Kathy's our, uh, our chair, so it always goes smoothly. But um, I, w I just found myself kind of, you know, just in awe of the fact that this was happening at all at various points during the meeting, which was, which was kind of neat. And um, so, yeah, I think we're all sort of dipping toes into what it's like to be back in person with people that we know and people that we don't. And it, yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. The, the interesting, I noticed, I'm sorry, Rabbi, that people are without masks saying hello. I'm not sure who everyone is. I don't, for a year and a half, we've seen their face covers. Uh, Rabbi, you were about to say something. I, I was just going to say that I think one of the fascinating things is watching the, the mix between intellect and emotion on this. Because, you know, the 
intellect takes you to whatever places it does about, you know, exactly whether, you know, how much distancing is and isn't needed and all of these things. And emotions kick in and they kick in on both sides. There are the people who, as you described it, Jay, that feel like they're on spring break and that, you know, it, it's all done. This, this is over. We're done with it. And I'm finished. And other people who are feeling I am really mm. hesitant to take that next step. And both those, I'm, you know, the, the, there's the interplay between either of those and scientific guidance is not a hundred percent. There's, there's, you know, some of it are just our people are where they are emotionally, and that needs to be respected and cared for and understood as we continue to make uh, judgments about health and safety. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Reverend Kathy. Let me ask you: Have you? Rabbi Khan brings up a great point. There's a there's a difference in, from the emotional point over to the scientific point, and there's a ton of room in between left almost to people's different interpretation. How are you folks? Because people feel differently. I we've all got groups of friends that have, and we have friends on each. And if we have friends in the middle, how are you dealing with it personally and also uh, within your congregation? Well, I think the most important thing as a leader of a congregation, I feel it's my responsibility to keep people safe. And we do have people who are not vaccinated, especially those under 12 years of age, as well as some folks who just aren't ready to do that yet or, you know, for whatever reason they can't. So those are the people I want to make sure don't come in contact with each other in an unsafe way. That's that's what I feel is my responsibility. Those of us who are vaccinated are pretty safe. And, you know, I think I think uh, the public health people are pretty clear now that we're not going to transmit anything to anyone. So, you know, personally, I I feel pretty safe going out. I even went to a movie mm. the other day. Oh, my goodness. And I ate popcorn, wow. too. And oh, wow. <laughs> It was a really bad movie, but I loved being there. <laughs> you were you were in a movie theater, really. The, yes. the movie's a secondary part of it. Yeah. Right, right. So, you know, personally, I, I feel pretty safe. And uh, in my role as a hospice chaplain, I go into a lot of facilities and not feeling any anxiety about that. But I but I do want to keep the congregation safe. Absolutely. It it, it is a it's it's a challenge, you know, especially with the younger people, because you have some that are vaccinated, some that aren't, and for a variety of reasons. And it's, you know, we all remember back when we were 16 years old, there was nothing that could hurt us, you know. So so there is, you know, a little concern there and, and probably a, a need to maybe educate a little bit more. Now, we've covered our updates here. That's not our topic for today. And our topic is so interesting, but it's so timely. And it's something that absolutely needs to be addressed. And that's why Dr. Pandora Carlucci is in charge of it. So I'm going to hand this over to Pandora as she takes us forward in, in our journey today. Pandora? Well, thank you, Jay. Uh I have to say, I truly enjoyed the, the first part of the discussion because there are so many mixed emotions that we all have in efforts to stay safe, in efforts to be non-judgmental about the decisions of others and keep our family and friends safe and all the different situations that encompass us in our daily lives. So it was 
nice to get a sense of what's happening in the congregations across our community. And then as uh, Jay was alluding, we always have a focus uh, topic for discussion. And the topic for this morning is dealing with hatred. When the topic first came across my desk, I, I thought to myself, you know, this is such a serious subject. We watch the news, we see hatred played out. Sometimes it's very obvious in terms of crowds of people, in terms of words spoken. And at other times, it's very uh, just below the surface and it's equally as harmful and, and full of hate. And it's, uh, it's, it's frightening to see. And Reverend Eric, I, I thought that I would begin with you uh, as you work with your congregation and you know, we're all living in the same community and we watch the news and we read the papers and we read the electronic media. How is this being experienced by your congregation? It's these forms of hate and uh, intolerance. What questions are being raised and, and how are you responding? Thanks, Pandora. Yeah, so I, I want to start by saying that I, I think for the vast majority of the congregation that I serve, um, the the angle that's most important to take is is around privilege. And um, I'll speak for myself in particular that um, that I am not. Uh, I don't feel as though I'm often a, a target of um, of hate or um, intolerance, and um, I didn't earn that. Uh, that's um, that's something that comes with skin color, uh, with gender, uh, with education, um, unearned, but uh, just a reality of how things are in, in the society that we live in. Um, and I think that's the case for many people in, in my congregation. However, uh, there are um, experiences of, um, of hate and intolerance uh, that my folks experience because of their ethnicities and race, because of their sexual orientation, because of their gender identities, um, and in 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 a kind of a smaller way, uh, but you know, in a way that matters, um, Unitarian Universalism is um, uh, is a, uh, a quite a minority religion in uh, in our. Uh, country and and um, in in our town, although our history in Franklin is you know um, almost you know more more than 150 years, um, and um, I, I think the lack of understanding sometimes leads to um, uh, a, a kind of an intolerance because of difference that can be um, a challenge. But I, I really want to want to say that we we that most folks in my congregation, starting with me. Um, need to address this question more from um, the ways that we've internalized oppression, uh, that we're a part of the problem, um, and um, to get better. Um, and um, so that's, uh, that's the starting place for me. I think that um, many of us do come from a place of privilege where we are not singled out, but we do have a role to play when we um, see it happening, whether it's obvious or just below the surface, because uh, hatred is a learned emotion. It is not part of us when we are born. It is taught. We, we need to teach tolerance and, and understanding. Uh, Reverend Kathy, when, when we look at what is happening, and 
and we do look at teaching tolerance and and uh, understanding and modeling this in our spoken word and in our actions. Um, how do we share this with our congregation, with the community, when when faced with um, very obvious um, hatred that happens in the in the world? Well, I I agree with Reverend Eric that um, most of my congregation has a lot of privilege but a few of them experience racism and xenophobia. Personally, I'm most vulnerable to hate speech as a lesbian, though I have to say that I've been very fortunate in not experiencing a lot of that aimed at me personally, and things have certainly improved since I came out 36 years ago. When I was a teacher in Denver in the 80s, other LGBT teachers told me about police taking down license plate numbers at gay bars and firing the teachers who were there. And I remember being just a little bit fearful for my life, marching in pride parades or other kinds of political demonstrations. But then when I was first ordained in the year 2000, it was very difficult for me to find a church, especially in the suburbs. And that was in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've never hidden who I am, but I do sometimes choose to be a little less forthcoming than at other times. And um, so I guess for me, that's part of, of how I, I model for the congregation is um, just trying to be who I am. But I think maybe sometimes there are a few steps ahead of me. Thank, thank you for speaking so personally and from the heart. You know, sometimes people don't know the whole story. And as I listen to you, because I've, I've only met you in the past few years, I, I I look back and think, what was life like 36 years ago as you were telling your story and how difficult it was to to be honest to yourself and to share that, as you said, as you came out 36 years ago. That makes me feel old just to say that. (laughs) (laughs) But don't they always say age is relative? And it's great to look at what the 36 years has, has combined you know, uh, I just, that is strength and that is energy. And you bring a personal voice to the subject, uh, not just for our conversation here, but for your congregation. They must give you strength back in your leadership role there. Absolutely. Um, I I was going to share this a little later on, but um, I had a really great um, phone call uh, last week. I I received a call from a member of the community who uh, has a gay grandson and she's trying to find a church where she can take him. And she said she had, they had gone to one congregation and the people there just wanted to change him. And she wanted to know how would he be received at St. John's? And I assured her that, you know, that that was not going to happen there and that we would be very welcoming and, and really uh, affirmed her for being so loving and protective of her grandson. And then I was relaying this story to some people in my congregation. Um, we, were, we were on a walk and uh, they told me that they had, their whole family had gone to the Pride concert in Franklin and that they were going to a, a forum that afternoon. And uh, so I told them the story about this grandmother the the man, the husband, um, kind of welled up with tears. He was so moved by that story that a grandmother would be so loving and protective. And I just thought, you know, this is this is the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> 
this is this is love and care and compassion and understanding. And as I said, I, I really think my congregation's a little bit ahead of me. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And and um, Rabbi Tom, I thought about how I would, would phrase this, but I have to think that you have have stories to share with from your congregation, from the temple, that uh, people of the Jewish faith have been the subjects of hatred and intolerance and oppression. And as a leader of the temple in our town of Franklin, how do you interact and guide and lead your congregation? Thank you. I appreciate that, Pandora. Let me first, I just want to reflect on my, my two colleagues' comments that I think that the first... Eric's right, and it's important to recognize the privilege that everybody has in their different places. We have, uh, you know, I have congregants who are black and they have a special burden. I have congregants who are uh, LGBTQ in all of its varieties, and I have, and they have special issues to deal with. And and uh, and I appreciate Kathy naming them and putting them up front, especially during Pride Month. It's important to do that. So yeah, but everybody in my congregation is feeling very nervous right now with the increase in uh, acts of anti-Semitism in recent times. It's, you know, uh, after the events uh, in uh, the Middle East, in Israel and Palestine, the uh, it's been really hard. Uh, you know, they're the... Uh, People, the diners at a Jewish restaurant in New York who were, I mean, in Los Angeles, where they were sitting outside and somebody pulls in out of a car and comes up and starts beating up someone. Uh, a Jewish man uh, comes out of a subway in New York. He's on a way to, his, to a demonstration, wasn't even there yet, didn't have any particular uh, uh, political things on. He was wearing a, a kippah, a yarmulke. He was beaten up. Um, and, you know, I have, I know many people who, when they, who, who regularly wear, uh, a yarmulke or a star of David, and when they go to Europe, they take them off because they're not safe. And we're starting to worry that's like that, getting to be like that in the United States. So, yeah. So, you know, I mean, in the sense we're all used to this as Jews, it's part of what we go up, we, we deal with, it's part of our lives, but it's, um, it's harder now. And uh, so what I want to spend a little bit of time on is talking to everybody else who's on this uh, who's listening to us. And my plea to all of you, because I know that the vast majority of people listening are people of good hearts who want to do the right thing. So a little piece of advice about how to do the right thing. You know, when the Black Lives Matter protests began, um, I was out there, not because I am African-American, because it was the right thing to do. And it recognized that particular form of oppression. And when people started saying, all lives matter, I recoiled, as many of us did, because, you know, yeah, all lives matter. But right now, we're focusing on the fact that people don't recognize how much Black lives matter. It is the particular one form of oppression that needs to be lifted up at a particular time. It is not saying other things don't matter, but it's also not saying you don't raise them all up together. And so I'd say for people, if you're going to deal with when, when, when there are hate crimes, particularly big against Asian American Pacific Islanders, the AAPI group, 
Okay, well, raise those up and focus on them. And you don't have to necessarily bring in everything else. But somehow it seems that often when people say I'm against anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, I'm against anti-Semitism and all forms of hate. No, you, I'll, I'll take your word for it, but that's not the time. The time right now is I'm against anti-Semitism. When there's an uptick of any other form, then that's the time to talk about that. And we should, but it is recognizing the different types of prejudice manifest in very different ways and learning the history of those. Anti-Semitism, I'll give my, my one minute lecture on anti-Semitism, which is, it is for many people an odd form of, uh, of prejudice because Jews, certainly in America, aren't doing all that badly, right? As a, as a group, we're fairly well off. We're, 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 we're successful. We're, you know, we, we, we don't have people keeping us from going into hotels and restaurants as they once did, uh, into colleges as they once did. You know, we're past that. And so it says, well, you know, clearly the Jews, they've passed it. They don't have any problems anymore. And what, and yet this group nonetheless is attacked from political perspectives of left and right, you know, because we do have some privileges and they say, well, you know, why should they? And I mean, yeah, but you know, why shouldn't anybody else too? So it's, it's, it's odd being a group that has some power and yet is also victimized. And I don't think, I think people have to learn the whole history of anti-Semitism and how to understand that the Jews have often been placed in a difficult middle position uh, that is not so easy to explain, but it all deserves thinking and study. People are different. Each story is different. Each story deserves its own um, level of care and its own level of thoughtfulness. And so that's really what I'm asking for people is just be aware. And, you know, we all have our moments that we need a hug. I, I, uh, if I could just interject, and that's a big word for me, interject. I, I, I think it is so interesting to, to hear the three of you speak, both your personal experiences and your congregational experiences, if that's a congregational is the word, if not, it is today. But I think like Reverend Kathy, some of the things she had talked about, her experiences in the last 36 years and, and dealing with the grandmother, I think from my point of view, that's something I understand, not because I lived that life, but you hear about those kind of things all the time. I, I was so engrossed in what Rabbi Tom was saying, because I think a lot of people, when they think anti-Semitism, people automatically, I, I don't know if everybody, I'll let myself, first thing you think about is the Holocaust and everything back then. You don't necessarily realize or know or think this is going on today. We, we know the hatred for the Black Lives Matters movement. Uh, the, the pride movement, everything like that. But it's so interesting to hear Rabbi Tom, because I don't think that's, when you hear of all this hatred and bullying going on, that's something you don't think about that right away. You think about the other things. So I, Rabbi, I, I so appreciate you sharing that and you articulated it uh, tremendously. So thank you for that. And Pandora, my apologies for, for jumping in there. No apologies, Jay. You always bring a voice 
and uh, a lens of understanding to the conversation and 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 help us to reflect on what everyone is saying that was that was wonderful and and as i think about the the comments among our our faith leaders this morning i wonder where do you think um how is franklin doing how are we doing as a community broadly with with spectrums uh, along the spectrum of intolerance and hate how are we doing as a community are we being more outreaching are we more tolerant do we have areas of growth where we need to expand our knowledge and become better educated and um reverend kathy we always find that that not always but we we find most of the time that education is a good pathway to overcoming uh, intolerance because it's a lot of it is finds its roots in lack of knowledge lack of understanding what do you how do you think that franklin is is doing with regards to educating uh tolerance and welcoming and understanding well i i related the story about the grandmother and the the people uh from my congregation and and i would say first of all saint john's chose me they called me as their priest three years ago so that says a lot right there and several members of the congregation suggested putting a rainbow on our sign as a statement of welcome. I was more hesitant about that because I didn't want to invite harassment, but we did it and there has been none. In terms of education, I want to be a better ally to Rabbi Tom in the temple and I need to learn more about how to do that and and I don't think it's his responsibility to uh, to educate us. So I appreciate what he shared today. My congregation's done some study about racism and xenophobia, but perhaps we also need to learn about anti-Semitism and, and to speak out more about that. So I, I want to commit to doing that. I like the, the, the way you phrased it, that it's our responsibility to learn. We're not looking for someone to teach us we're looking to learn and we'll go to those sources of, of information. That was a very interesting lens and we have a, a, a wealth of knowledge out there. Reverend, uh, Reverend Eric, the Unitarian Universalist is a very welcoming congregation. I, I once went, uh, have been in, in your uh, building for many different um, services and have also experienced the labyrinth. And that was a wonderful re reflective period of time uh, shared there. Um, how do you see your congregation working with the um, knowledge factor? And um, Well, I, I, I want to appreciate Reverend Kathy and Rabbi Tom for pointing us in the right way here. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of followership that, um, uh, that our congregation and that people in Franklin um, uh, are called to and uh, often are showing up to, and um, uh, that's gratifying. You know, in, in the past week, there was a, a news story that uh, once again placed uh, our beloved town uh, in the, you know, one of the safest cities in the country and probably in the world category. And, you know, it's, it's wonderful to, to hear that. Uh, but I, I, I want to invite all of us to, uh, to also wonder what that might hide and um, that uh, it's as much a, um, a reflection of um, the breadth of privilege in, in Franklin as anything else. So let's celebrate it. Let's continue to be a very, very safe community. But let's, have a, let's also have a deeper question about what might be, um, as you've said, uh, Dr. Pandora, uh, below the surface. 
you know, the, the, um, the congregation is, um, is trying to be on a path of learning, understanding, committing, witnessing. Um, we took a, um, a step this past Sunday at our annual congregational meeting to make um, anti-racism work um, a, an article of faith. So Unitarian Universalists have seven principles. This past Sunday with many other UU congregations around the country, we adopted an eighth principle uh, related to um, deconstructing uh, uh, oppressions as um, an article of faith for us. We're um, at, in, in, at, at, we're on the path in that work. Um, I'm glad to say that we'll be celebrating uh, Pride this coming Sunday. That's an annual event for our congregation and uh, looking forward to uh, lifting up how um, the lives of LGBTQ plus people um, are uh, a blessing, uh, how uh, trans people are divine, and that um, we'll be dedicating a, uh, um, a a restroom in the meeting house for people of all genders during the service and um, feeling like that's one step forward for us. And lastly, I wanna lift up that on uh, the 20th of June, uh, we um, have a, a, a very special um, celebration of um, international human rights. The executive director of our service committee will be um, our guest minister. And part of what we do on that Sunday is remember important work that was done during just prior to and during the Second World War to uh, to rescue refugees, particularly uh, Jewish people in Europe. And um, the two people, the two Unitarians that were involved in that were um, the Sharps, only the second and third Americans recognized by Yad Vashem for being righteous among the nations. And we look back to them as an inspiration to how um, we need to be now, uh, and I hope that, um, that that takes hold in the congregation and, and beyond. Thank you very much. I think uh, Rabbi Tom, Reverend Eric's story leads directly to your congregation. All that's going to be happening at, at his church on June the 20th and, and all that is going on in the temple. Uh, do you want to speak to uh, different activities, different education pathways that are, are happening celebrations? So, so many different things. Um, first of all, um, uh, I want to thank uh, Reverend McGannum so much for her uh, reaching out about and, and her, the statement she made about uh, fighting anti-Semitism, and I appreciate that. Uh, second, for uh, Reverend Cherry, I do want to say, oh yes, I certainly know about the Sharps. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, I've seen the. A, a video presentation about them. Uh, the movie, the, the, I think it's a documentary that was done about them. It was just fascinating, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's a it's a very powerful and, and uh, helpful story to be reminded. And thank you for doing that. At our temple, we are uh, celebrating Pride uh, uh, at a uh, Shabbat service on June twenty fifth, and uh, looking forward to sharing with the congregation and trying to to. Build up that up. We're looking, getting a speaker in. That's going to be a special service, as it always is. And so we've got that coming up in, on that particular score. And uh, just in general, um, in terms of where the, the community is, uh, the larger community, I'd say, um, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of good work. There are people in charge all over the place who are doing very powerful good work. And we, as a Jewish community, have felt incredibly well taken care of in Franklin, and we appreciate that, and I don't want anyone to think otherwise. But, you know, at the same time, uh, there are people who do things. There are swastikas that get painted. There are uh, 
jokes made about Jews. Every person, every youngster in our congregation a couple of years ago, we had all our, our kids in, we had a conversation about anti-Semitism. Every one of them had experienced some form of anti-Semitic activity. Not the biggest thing in the world, but stuff, you know? So it's out there and it happens. That's, we aren't just Franklin, our congregation represents several communities, but it's happened, it's happened in Franklin. And I know that, uh, you know, I'm with Reverend McAdams on the, on the Franklin Freedom Team. We hear about, you know, stories at the high school for uh, um, African-Americans, for uh, uh, Latino and Latinas. Heard so much about the Asian-Americans, but that generally is just because I haven't heard about it as opposed to it's not happening. And so we all still have a gigantic amount of work to do from our positions, both of uh, privilege and of non-privilege in each place there's work to do. And so um, I- I'm hoping that we will go from not just being the safest, one of the safest communities in the country, but being one of the most welcoming communities in the country. That would be a great step. I like that because I, I wondered about the data points that, infor- that informed our selection uh, as one of the safest communities, but to be the most welcoming, that would speak volumes. That would that would be wonderful. I, all of you have shared so much uh, today, personally and on behalf of your congregations. Does anyone have a closing remark that they would like to share that hasn't? You know what? I, I would like to ask our our panel, our experts, what can and and you may not know, and it may be multi stepped. What can people such as myself, Keith, Pandora, you know, you folks lead congregations. So you've got, pardon the pun, but you've got a pulpit to kind of speak from. You know, Pandora and I and Keith don't necessarily have that. You know, we could put up on our Facebook profile, put a pride flag instead of our picture for a month. But that just seems just way too little. I, I just, you know, I think so many people want to do things, but they're not sure what to do. At least that's the case for me. So I'd, I'd throw that out to everybody and anybody. Reverend Eric, you raised your hand first. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, Jay, I've, I've, got, I've got one selfish request and, and then sort of a broader one, uh, selfish on behalf of, of all of the religious communities in town, uh, that um, pushing uh, your religious leaders and religious leaders in other communities to be out front, to center the importance of this work in uh, being an ally to our um uh, to our, our Jewish neighbors in town and to all our neighbors in town who suffer any variety of um, of intolerance, hate, or other oppressions, is supporting and pushing religious leaders to do that is a fundamental step that um, all people uh, can take. And so I, I'd urge you, again, somewhat selfishly, uh, from my point of view, to, um, to try to do that. Uh, and the thirdly is a little less religious and more secular. Uh, and that's to uh, to show up, uh, to not be a bystander uh, when uh, when something um, that shouldn't be happening is taking place, 
um, and uh, noting that on social media, noting how you have interrupted uh, a uh, an act of uh, intolerance, hate, or oppression on social media is very constructive. Um, but even better is uh, is that it actually happened at the time when it needed to. So let's be near each other. It's getting safer to be near each other physically. Um, let's be near each other as um, as allies and supporters to uh, interrupt um, uh, intolerance, hate, and oppression as it's taking place. We can all do better at that in our everyday secular lives. Yes, to all of that. And I'd also add, learn, learn, learn. You want to learn how to be an anti-racist? Read the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist It has, by Ibram Kendi. It has a lot of useful ways of changing your thinking so you are ready to act. You want to learn how to deal with anti-Semitism? Read Deborah Lipstadt's Anti-Semitism Here and Now, very um, readable book that tells you a lot about where anti-Semitism is today and gives you, you know, the more you know, the more you're able to step in, the more you're able to recognize things because a lot of times comments and the like are made and you might not even know they're problematic, but the person who's saying them knows it and the people who are getting that, who are, are receiving them know it. So, you know, when you're a bystander, you need to know. Wonderful. And I think that the, you re, you repeated the key word three times, learn, 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 that we educate ourselves. If we don't know, we find out so that we can take the appropriate steps. And um, Reverend Eric, you said, show up. And that's it. Oftentimes we hear of a gathering on the town common. Uh, they're, you know, supporting a group that has been suffering in some way, depending on the particular group that we get in the car or walk on over and show up. And uh, that means that means a lot. Any other comments? I, I think this is, you know, I've got a page full of notes that I've just been taking. <laughs> I didn't take a page full of notes in four years combined in college. So I, I just, I think the information, tremendous and the sharing and it, it, I've learned a ton, but I also think we've done this show. It's a great show. It's a show that I think needed to be done, but I think we've only scratched the surface. I think, you know, we can look, you know, keep myself and Pandora, we can talk with you guys about doing more in this realm because it is such such a problem in maybe it is in franklin maybe less so but but all over the country and all over the world and it, it needs to be addressed and especially people that don't know how to address it need to learn from people that do in, in my opinion very good yes they do and and i have to think you probably took at least five or six pages of notes over the four years I mean, I, I, well I may have just used them as coasters in the pub. That would be the only reason to have them. Jay, you mentioned, or someone mentioned that uh, we've been doing this show for a year, so I just wanted to say happy anniversary to everybody. Yeah, yeah. our first show was uh, June of last year, as I remember correctly. It feels like it's only been a couple of months in some respects. I think in other respects, it seems like we've we've grown 
very quickly with a comfort level in really talking about anything and everything. Uh, and that normally takes years, but I, that's a credit uh, to the three of you, you know, being willing to share and allowing Pandora and myself and Keith into your worlds to, to maybe ask some questions. Uh, so, but we, I, speaking for myself, I just thank you for continuing. You could have bailed after the first episode once you got to know the three of us, uh, but you didn't. You stuck with it. You put up with us. And uh, it's been so far, it's a great journey, but I feel like we're still in the driveway of this journey. We haven't even gotten out into the road yet. So, but I thank you for letting me be a part of it. I thank you as well. And uh, I think many of us have been involved in conversations with with other groups and organizations as we tend to take these steps out of the pandemic. And that as we look back on the pandemic, there are some things that we want to bring with us into this quote new normal that we are hopefully all going to be experiencing. And this is one of them, this radio show that we came together in these little squares. We, for those listening, we uh, record using Zoom. So many of us have not met one another in person, but we know them as faces in the little squares. But the content, the thoughtfulness, the heartfelt sharing, the leadership that we receive from the three faith leaders has carried us over these months. And I really hope and we're going to set the date for the next uh, radio conversation, but it's one of those things that I'm glad to take from the pandemic and bring it ahead into the future. See what happens. It, you know, as always, we end things with a, a thoughtful, spiritual focus. Uh, although I think today's show was almost that in an entirety with kind of the way we were looking at and approaching getting direction from the three of you, but uh, this month, Rabbi Tom is, is going to kind of lead us in our, our, our focus here at the end of our show. So, Rabbi? Thank you. I want to share a teaching that's in uh, the, the Talmud, one of the Jewish holy texts, or important texts, I don't know how to describe it. Um, and it's in a discussion of um, the, the requirements for uh, convicting someone of a capital crime. And it stated that the requirements are substantially higher than convicting someone for a property uh, damage. And the reason is because of the importance of each individual. And this produces some further discussion about people. And it, and it asks, so how is God different from an earthly ruler? And the answer is that an earthly ruler will mint coinage with their likeness on it. Think of British coins that all have uh, uh, the likeness of the queen. And those coins are all the same. God, too, has minted coins with God's likeness on it. But that likeness is the face of each individual person. So I would hope that as we go forward, we remember that as we look on each person, we see a spark of divinity, a sense of the holy in everyone that we are in contact with. And if we can remember that, I think that we will do substantially better at uh, making this a world filled 
much more with love than with hate. I mean, that, that's perfect. What a, what a great thought and sentiment uh, to have us go forward. Uh, I, I have to thank all of you uh, for today's show. I just, it, it, as I said, I think it's something that a lot of people are almost fearful to discuss. There's, there's, and part of that is because people just don't know. They don't know what to say. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Uh, I think it's it's great that we've got a little forum here for us that, uh, hey, I've been able to stick around for a year. So there's obviously no judgment uh, and no criticism for saying uh, silly and stupid things. I've made it through. So uh, I, I have to thank you all for that. Uh, Pandora, any closing thoughts? I apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> my closing thoughts would be thank you to um, everyone on on this discussion, that it was a very um, important subject, and I'm glad that we were able to raise it in this forum and share it with the Franklin community. I, I think that's awesome. I, I Again, back to our three panelists, they're the ones that give us direction. Uh, Pandora and I just read the email and work off that so that this this topic this discussion all came from our our uh three panelists and we're, we're fortunate to have uh them with us uh on a as uh reverend kathy said earlier this is kind of our one year anniversary we did our first show a year ago this month uh so the good news is we'll be back for a start a second year, uh, which is just, that's mind boggling to even say. Uh, but sometimes soon folks, you'll actually maybe get to see us in person. Maybe this will be a combination radio show, TV show when we get in the studio and we actually watch a priest, a minister and a rabbi walk in. So for Dr. Pandora Carlucci, for Reverend Eric, Reverend Kathy, Rabbi Tom, Keith Palmieri, and I saw Pete Bassiano in the background. I'm Jay Horrigan. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you.